Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and today we will be going over our top 10 college football teams entering week six of the 2023 season. Before we take a deep dive into this video, into the beauty that is college football, please make sure to like this video so we can get it into the algorithm, and also hit the big red subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you can join the Big 10 Football's best YouTube community, and so that you can also get notified when I post more college football and Big 10 football content. Also, if you could do me a favor and comment your thoughts in your own top 10 below, I would really appreciate that. And also check out my Patreon page via the link in the description so that you, depending on your Patreon tier, can always be thanked at the end of the video for supporting the channel and also, perhaps more importantly, get exclusive content as well. So let's dive in. And at number 10, I have Notre Dame. Notre Dame's 5-1. and one. They're an independent, which used to be very common in college football, but is now a rarity. Notre Dame is one of the few brands in the country that can remain an independent without having several costs and cons associated with the team. They're still able to recruit at a high level, and they're right now playing at a high level. They're coming off of a road win against Duke, and their only loss of the season was by three at home to an Ohio State team who I think is one of the few elite teams in all of college football. Notre Dame's strength is their offensive line. It's among one of the best in the country, especially looking at their tackle room with Joe Alt, and that offensive line props up Jeremiah Love and Audric Estime and Jabron Peen, um, Payne, their running backs, which is one of the best running back groups in the country. They have elite players at running back, offensive line, and then at linebacker with Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand. They have phenomenal players on the defensive side of the ball as well. Their offense has a high ceiling, but at the same time, I think the offense is also this team's kryptonite. They seem to either boom or bust offensively, and Notre Dame in their first four games was able to get big, explosive plays through the air and through the ground, and we didn't see that much against Ohio State or against Duke until the very end of the game when Audric Estime broke off a long run. So this offense to me feels stagnant, especially in the passing game when big plays aren't there. But their offensive line is among the best in the country. Their run game is consistent. Notre Dame can control games. And Marcus Freeman and his squad, I think, can win out from here. I think they're a better team than USC and a much better team than Clemson. They have a tough test at Louisville at night this weekend but I'm sure that they are up for the challenge. So Notre Dame is my 10th best team in all of college football. And number eight, we have Oregon State. Now, Washington State did beat Oregon State, and they moved out of my top 10 following their bye. I still think Washington State is a great team, but I think Oregon State is better. I happen to think that Oregon State in a road trip against one of the better quarterbacks in the nation had an off game and they couldn't match the intensity that Washington State brought to the table. Watching Oregon State dismantle Utah, who in my mind was a top 10 team, proved to me that A, Utah needs Cameron Rising to be healthy if they want to be a top 10 team and a Pac-12 title contender with how deep the conference is, 
But also, B, Oregon State is a dominant football team, and they're one of the better teams in the country. Um, that one loss to Washington State, I don't think changes that. They're 4-1, one, 1-1 and one in the Pac-12, losing to Washington State, who has a chance to re-enter my top 10 if they beat UCLA on the road. And Oregon State beating Utah 21-7 to was just impressive. Their rushing offense, their offensive line, their running back room, they're similar to Notre Dame, really, in a lot of aspects. Um, their defensive upside, in comparison to Notre Dame's passing offense, I think is their weakness. You saw that against Washington State, where Washington State literally passed the ball, and that was practically it, and Oregon State couldn't stop it. And against Utah, there were several moments where if Brant Cuthy was healthy or if Cameron Rising was healthy, um, instead of Nate Johnson throwing inaccurate passes and making bad decisions, perhaps a more veteran quarterback would have come out of Corvallis with a win. Oregon State's offense is consistent. They have great wide receivers. That's something I didn't mention up on this slide, but their wide receiver cores really impressed me. I think it's one of the better wide receiver cores in the nation. Very underrated. Their lack of blue chip talent, which correlates with their upside because raw talent and upside are related, that is what can hold them back. Um, Oregon State control the top 10 Utah team. I expect them to be one of the best teams in the country for the rest of the season. We'll just have to see where they go from here, the Oregon State Beavers. And DJ Uyunglele, Damian Martinez, and that offense, it's it's ruthlessly efficient. They have a very innovative staff, the Oregon State Beavers do. And number eight, we have Florida State. They are coming off a bye, and they dropped to eighth, mainly because other teams behind them, specifically one team, that being Texas, impressed. Florida State, in my mind, looking at them, even with LSU embarrassing themselves on national TV to Ole Miss and proving that they have no defense, I don't really look at Florida State any less. I might look at their upside in a more negative light and question whether they can win a national title or beat a elite team. Now that's very evident LSU is anything but an elite team. But Florida State is still a top 10 team, and they have one of the better resumes in college football. They're 4-0, they're 2-0 in the ACC, they beat Clemson for the first time since 2014, and that win over LSU was still impressive. In fact, Florida State might have broken LSU, and maybe if LSU wins that game, their season's on a different track. College football is a very complicated sport, and you have to look at things from multiple angles. Um, the angle from which Florida State wins is their skill positions. That's how they beat Clemson, despite having less yards and and not controlling the game as well as the Tigers did, and in my opinion, not playing as good of a game relative to their potential that Dabo Swinney and his staff and his roster did, is because Florida State's able to throw the ball deep. They have Keon Coleman, they have Johnny Wilson, they have Jaheim Bell, they have Kyle Morlock, they have one of the better centers in all of college football, according to PFF, Pro Football Focus, and even though their run game has struggled on both sides of the ball, they've struggled to defend the run and also run on opposing defenses, they still have a high ceiling on offense. They have a, you, you know, a unique offensive system that has players like Jordan Travis, and as I've already mentioned, the wide receivers, tight ends, running backs as well with Trey Benson, who's a good running back. And I like what Florida State has and brings to the table. 
They have a lot more talent than Oregon State, but they don't have a blue chip ratio of 50% or higher, which means more than half of their roster aren't four or five star players. So that could limit them, but there's they have so many veteran players, they have so much experience, and they have great coaches. So I still like Florida State. I'm just curious to see how they do against, let's say, a Miami and how they do with the rest of their schedule. It seems like this team is almost due to lose a regular season game. And my Florida State friend and expert, Marquishimo, would agree with me. At number seven, we have the Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State fell. They were at number five. They, funny enough, rose in the AP poll. So I went from being higher on Penn State than the media, who's typically very high on Penn State anyway, to now being lower on them. And the reason is, again, other teams impressed me more than Penn State did. Penn State's still a great football team, and they have a whole lot of talent. In fact, I said, I think a week or two weeks ago, that Penn State's defensive tackles were just flat-out bad. Well, I'm wrong. That is now... That I don't know if it was necessarily inaccurate, but it certainly wasn't a solid truth. Now it's totally inaccurate. Um, Penn State has done a much better job of defending the run overall than they did last year. The defense is strong. They force turnovers. They rarely bend. They almost never break. It's one of the best defenses in college football. And Penn State's 5-0, and 3-0, and and they've blown out opponents and dominated teams because mainly their defense. They played sloppy against Northwestern, but hey, every top 10 team so far this year has had a game where they've looked sloppy or they've struggled. Here's the problem with Penn State. Drew Aller every week looks worse, and Penn State's only averaging 4.1 yards per carry, and they haven't faced a defense that matters outside of Iowa, who was at home in the whiteout game. And Nicholas Singleton still isn't averaging more than four yards per carry. And I think that's a concern behind an offensive line that also looks less impressive every week that I see it in action. The overall offense has some major inconsistencies, and they have some downright issues. And if you're Penn State, with the lack of depth at wide receiver and Drew Aller being a new quarterback, especially you, as Nittany Lions need a run game to balance out that offense because Penn State not being able to run the football, that's what costs them against Michigan, and that's what costs them against Ohio State outside of their run defense against Michigan and Ohio State's offense just being amazing. Having an elite rushing offense helps Penn State's chances of winning the Big Ten, and right now they have anything but an elite rushing offense. I still think they have elite running backs. I love Nicholas Singleton. I love Katron Allen. Hopefully he heals up. And Trey Potts has been impressing at running back. And linebacker, corner, and safety. And I think defensive end and even defensive tackle as well can have elite players. I think defensive end certainly has the greatest depth in college football. And they have a great defensive staff. I'm just looking for the offense to have more consistency and more of an upside. But Penn State at number seven, they definitely have the potential to come back into my top six or top five. At number six, speaking of my top six, we have the Oregon Ducks. 5-0, and 2-0 in the Pac-12. They struggled against Stanford initially, but pulled away and had a very dominant second half. Their overall offense, once again, is the strength of this team. 
They have elite players in Bo Nix at quarterback. At running back, they have, you know, they have Noah Whittington. They have Bucky Irving. At tight end, they have Terrence Ferguson. At wide receiver, Troy Franklin, who's one of the fastest wide receivers in the nation. And Jackson Powers Johnson, Josh Connerly, Johnny Cornelius, and many other players among that offensive line. This offense is nearly, if not totally, unstoppable. And it's amazing that we have USC's offense, we have Oregon's offense, we have Washington's offense, Washington State's offense, to a certain degree, has looked unstoppable. We have Oregon State's offense, Arizona's offense has crazy upside, and imagine Utah's offense with a healthy Cameron rising. And also UCLA's offense, too, you know, Chip Kelly being an offensive guru. It's phenomenal what the Pac-12 has done in offense, but especially Oregon. They, in my mind, have the most balanced offense in the Pac-12. Um, I think that their offensive line is one of the best in the nation. Washington, I think, is a better offensive line and also a better passing game, but Washington does not have the same upside, depth, or consistent level of play at running back that Oregon does. And that's something that is going to help the Ducks long-term, and it could potentially hurt the Huskies. Um, they're going to face, by the way, in I think one or two weeks, and I'm very excited for that matchup. I think it's going to be almost guaranteed a top 10 matchup. Let me know what you think about that game down in the comments below. The Ducks run defense. It has yet to be tested, and I still think it is a weakness, and I'm curious to see how Oregon responds to when they face USC or when they face Utah. You know, teams who can run the football. I'm very interested. And Washington, too, they have Dylan Johnson, and they have a great offensive line. So when Oregon faces teams that have great or elite offensive lines with great running backs, I'm very curious to see how the defense responds. But outside of that, which is sort of speculation, Oregon doesn't have many weaknesses. And we're seeing this as we're rising throughout the top 10. We're getting toward elite teams. Georgia at number five. Now, I said, I think in my initial top 10 video, that I wouldn't drop Georgia below four. But so many teams have been impressing. And Georgia, come on, it's Auburn. Now, I know Auburn has talent and they have a great defense, but Auburn didn't even pass for 100 yards, and they ran for 250. Those numbers are inflated because of long quarterback runs, and Georgia's rushing defense is not that bad as that game would indicate. But Georgia offensively has had some inconsistencies, and they've struggled to run the football pass the football, and defensively, we're now seeing signs that they are struggling to stop the run, or at least shut down the run. They're able to slow down the run still. They have talented players like Michael Williams, Nazir Stackhouse, Smile Munden at linebacker. Malachi Starks, I think, is a part of the nation's best safety room. They have great players. They have elite players. The problem is they lost so much production over the past two years, and it's very hard to continue to hit on your recruits. And looking at most of the teams who are ahead of Georgia, if not all of them, one thing they have in common is they returned a lot more production than Georgia did. Only one team ahead of Georgia in this list has more high school recruiting raw talent than the Bulldogs do. The Bulldogs have Malachi Starks, they have Lad McConkey at wide receiver, who 
I think is special. I think every player I've mentioned so far for Georgia is special. They have Cedric Van Pran, who I think is special, and Brock Bowers. They have four special players who are great, who are elite, and they have some others as well who contribute to elite rooms. But Carson Beck is obviously, I think at this point, not as good as Stetson Bennett. And at 5-0, and 2-0 in the SEC, they have not impressed in many games. They had to pull away late at Auburn. And their trench play, despite having great players, has some inconsistencies. Their running back room, we're seeing a lack of depth and a lack of upside there that, you know, Kenny McIntosh, James Cook, and Zamir White had. I'm curious to see where Georgia is going forward. I think they're still probably going to win the SEC, if not go 13-0. I think that conference is very weak this year. They do have a tough test against Kentucky, who has a stud in Ray Davis at running back. So I'm excited to see how Georgia performs against the Wildcats at home this weekend. At number four, we have the Texas Longhorns. Texas, they beat a ranked Kansas team. And a Kansas team that I have, as many of you likely saw in my community post, still in my top 20. One, because they played without Jalen Daniels, which really hurts them. But also, from what I've seen in Kansas in their other four games, I think they're a top 25 team. And I like the staff they have and the talent they have. And Texas just flat out crushed that team. They slowly grinded them. They had one of Week 5's best performances. And now standing at 5-0, and 2-0 in conference, Oklahoma, they have the same record. The Red River shootout, the Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it, that's one of the games of the week. I know that typically I don't cover non-Big Ten games, but I'm going to be doing shorter previews so I can preview more games while still keeping in the longer in-depth previews, but just adding on more content. But those videos just won't be as long, so don't worry. I'm still keeping the long um, preview and prediction videos and the long reaction analysis videos. I'm just doing some more medium-length videos so I can get in more content. Let me know if you want me to cover the Red River rivalry or the Red River shootout, whatever you call it. Um, Texas definitely is a team that has the potential to engage in shootouts and win. They also can hold down opponents and limit them defensively. They're a very impressive football team. And there's an argument in my mind for Texas to be the number one team in the country if you're looking at performance, if you're looking at talent, and also if you're looking at resume. They went on the road and they owned Alabama in their own house. And Alabama right now, if they beat Texas A&M on the road, they're probably going to win out. And they're probably going to go 11-1 and or maybe they go 10-2, and but they'll probably still appear in the SEC championship game regardless if they beat Texas A&M this weekend. Um, so Texas beating Kansas, you know, going on the road and crushing Baylor, uh, dominating Alabama in Tuscaloosa, very impressive resume. They have elite players at wide receiver like Xavier Worthy, at tight end, Jatavion Sanders, who we hope is healthy. We pray that he's healthy. I never like to see injuries personally, and I know many of you don't either. And their defensive tackle room, Texas in the trenches, Offensive line, but I think especially defensive line this year has been very impressive. And Quinn Ewers might be of Heisman caliber. We'll just have to see how he does this weekend against a very improved Oklahoma defense. The special teams and the red zone offense, I think, have to improve if Texas wants to maximize their chances to win. But they're one of the most talented teams in the country. They have an elite play caller in Steve Sarkeesian, and their defense is the best that it's been in 
well over a decade in my mind. This is an elite Texas team, and I think they're back, and I think they're going to contend for a national title this year after what I've seen in nearly a half of their regular season. At number three, we have the Washington Huskies. I dropped them from two to three because Arizona's inconsistent, and I didn't like Washington's showing on the road, but they still won, and they took teams' heads off outside of that matchup. So I still think Washington is one of the better teams in all of college football. They're 5-0, and 2-0 in the Pac-12. Their passing offense is their strength. Their special teams is still a weakness of theirs, though it has improved in past weeks. But outside of special teams and maybe defensive consistency, maybe a consistent run game, they were just... We're at the point, and Texas and Georgia were really these teams as well. Starting in my top five, you're nitpicking for weaknesses. And there's an argument for any of those teams in my mind to be number one, I think. Um, They may not all be equally strong arguments in my mind, but there are logical arguments nonetheless. I'm nitpicking for Washington's weaknesses. Special teams could markedly improve the following week. They could take someone's head off. And special teams might still be mentioned as a weakness because it's just the weakest part of the team despite being strong nationally, if you get what I'm saying. The Huskies have elite players at wide receiver with one of the deepest wide receiver rooms in the country. Roma Dunze, who's pictured right here, is one of college football's best wide receivers, and him along with his quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., just signed an NIL deal with Adidas. So good luck to him and Michael Penix. And speaking of Penix, he's a Heisman-level quarterback, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. It's awesome to see a comeback story, and Michael Penix embodies that. At tight end, Jack Westover is an elite player. The offensive line is one of the best in America. And at defensive end, they have NFL-caliber players as well. The Huskies need to use their talent wisely because I think they could have one of the best defenses in college football along with their offense. But they need to be efficient. They need to not overlook anyone. And Washington is a team where I don't think they're talented enough and part of it may involve coaching but I don't know I don't know if this team can play at an elite level every week I don't know if they can and I think raw talent and also the staff you know still being new and not totally entrenched over the course of half a decade might have to do might have to do with that I don't know if I'm on to something or if I'm just speaking nonsense but like Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia, they have the talent to play at an elite level almost every week. And I'd argue with like Florida State and even Michigan with their returning production and their staff having been there longer and their systems being in place, they maybe could do that as well with their returning production and you know development compensating for some of those talent discrepancies. I don't know if Washington can do that. And again, Maybe I'm insane in saying that, but it's just something that I want to think about. Because last year, Washington beat everyone worth their weight in gold. They beat Oregon. They beat Oregon State. They beat Texas. But who did they lose to? UCLA and Arizona State. They lost to inferior teams. So I think it's very critical for Washington, play your best game against your best opponents, and play a great game, and don't overlook anyone, but... Don't behead the small teams and then don't show up 
and play your best game, your A-plus game against the USC's, the Utah's, the Oregon's of the world, the Oregon State's, because you're facing all those teams I just mentioned, and all of those teams are top 15 teams in my book. At number two, we have the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State is 4-0, 1-0 in Big Ten Conference play. They had a bye week after beating Notre Dame, who, as I've already mentioned, is in my top 10 at number 10. They have one of the more impressive resumes in all of college football right now because of that road win at Notre Dame and a come-from-behind win, nonetheless. Their overall defense is one of the best in the country. I think they have the second-best defense in the country, um, and they have the potential to be the best defense in the country with the talent they have and virtue, the virtue of them playing a great offense in Notre Dame, an offense that before they faced the Buckeyes made big play after big play, and Ohio State never allowed a big play. Um, At defensive tackle with Mike Hall Jr., Ty Hamilton, and Tyleek Williams, they have one of the deepest rooms in all of America. At defensive end, Jack Sawyer has impressed me, and JT Tuimolau has shown that his upside remains one of the highest in the country. At linebacker, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are anchoring their defense, And at safety, Josh Proctor's had a phenomenal season, and Denzel Burke at corner has had a phenomenal season. The offensive staff is elite. I think they'll figure it out on offense eventually with wide receiver, running back, and guard, and potentially center as well with Carson Hinsman having phenomenal players too. I think the Buckeyes against Maryland, their opponent in Week 6, they need to show improvement. They're coming off of a bye week. Ryan Day teams typically improve and show off after a bye week, which you may think that a week of rest and preparation does that for all teams. Uh, You'd be wrong on that part. Um, It's actually, from how I understand, a rarity that a team comes off of a bye week and performs at an impressive level compared to how they've performed throughout the season. Ohio State is one of those teams, which I think points to good coaching and good game day coaching, more specifically, by Ryan Day and his staff. With elite players, with a quarterback who's maturing week after week, and with Notre Dame, I mean, they beat Duke, they covered, they showed they're mentally tough and physically tough. That's a good win for Ohio State. And Notre Dame, in my mind, is much better than I thought they were going to be in the preseason, Ohio State, they're better on defense than I expected, even though I predicted they would have an elite defense. They're still better than I expected them to be, in my mind. The offense, though, is worse, and remarkably worse than I expected, so there needs to be improvement there, especially along the offensive line, which I think if Kyle McCord doesn't improve much, but the offensive line improves a ton, Ohio State is built with their running back room to have a run-heavy attack. And with their wide receivers, a good tight end, Cade Stover. I mean, I could talk all day about the weapons that Ohio State has and the fact that Ryan Day being, you know, 17 and 6 against ranked opponents, they're well coached. They haven't had any injuries this year, so I think the strength and conditioning staff improved as well. They're the second best team in all of America, in my mind. And they're just, they're impressive. They're deep well-coached, as I've already mentioned, for like the 1,000th time, and I think they will be more than up to the task for impressing against Maryland and likely destroying that team. At number one, we have Michigan. I think Michigan has been the most dominant team in all of college football so far, and I think they had the best performance of Week 5. 
That's debatable, of course. They didn't face a ranked opponent like Texas did, or like Notre Dame did, even though I think Notre Dame struggling against Duke tells us that Texas and Michigan, who thoroughly led their opponents, had better performances. But Michigan was flawless against Nebraska. Defensively, at the safety position, there could have been things that were done better. Michigan allowed some big plays through the middle of the field, big passes from Heinrich Harburg to Billy Kemp. But outside of that, Michigan played a flawless game, almost, on special teams, on offense, outside of one three and out. Michigan scored on all of their other drives that mattered. This team is just efficient. It's the embodiment of efficiency. They don't have the same talent that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State have, or even LSU, or even Penn State. Penn State has more talent, according to 24-7 Sports Team Talent Composite. But you know where Michigan is superior compared to all of these teams? Development, strength and conditioning, experience. They have one of the most experienced rosters in all of college football. That's where they compensate for all of this. And it's showing in how they play on the field. They're number one, according to ESPN and team efficiency, right now, with I think the sixth most efficient offense, the third most efficient defense. And their special teams unit, which has been problematic in their first few games, showed improvement against Nebraska despite nearly muffing a punt. They kicked well, they had good returns, and Tommy Doman did a solid job punting as well, showed off the power in his leg. At 5-0, 2-0 in the Big Ten, I think Michigan's only noticeable weakness, I think offensive tackle played well against Nebraska, and that was an area I critiqued after the Rutgers game. Special teams, that could be a weakness as well. But I think for Michigan, their biggest weakness so far has been their easy schedule. I think that's their biggest weakness, honestly. They haven't been tested yet. You could say similar for Washington, but Washington traveled on the road to Michigan State. They destroyed Michigan State. They destroyed Cal. They traveled on the road. And Washington was tested against Arizona, and they won that close game. Michigan hasn't been tested whatsoever. No team has made Michigan bleed. Michigan stubbed their toe a few times against Bowling Green, that was about it. That w- that wasn't a test. And this can be non-important. It can be a completely, you know, you know, who cares type of factor. And Michigan could still go into Penn State and they could host Ohio State and they could destroy both of those teams. But also not being tested could mean that when Michigan's hit in the mouth, they don't know how to respond. So, I think their schedule while it could be a non-factor, Some could argue it could even be a strength to help the team get healthy and help them experiment and try new things. I think there's an argument that it could be a weakness as well. And I'm going with the weakness for now, just because it's a popular thing people are saying about Michigan, and I have to agree with it. They haven't played anyone. But against these nobody teams, and I think Rutgers is, I think Rutgers, frankly, is good, but they need to prove it too. And Nebraska has some serious issues. Michigan has looked like the most dominant team in the country, and they're the most efficient team in all of college football right now. They have elite players at running back, O-line, and all around the defense. And J.J. McCarthy is number one in quarterback efficiency. Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson and tight end Colston Loveland are doing well. And Ben Herbert commands the best strength staff in all of college football. 
So Michigan at number one, Ohio State at two, Washington at three, Texas at four, Georgia at five, Oregon at six, Penn State at seven, Florida State at eight. At number nine, we have Oregon State. And at 10, we have Notre Dame. I just made, I named my top 10 off the top of my head. Really isn't impressive. In fact, if I wasn't able to do that, I would have had to stop recording this video and edit that out. But anyway, thank you to my patrons for sponsoring this channel, especially to my All-American patron, Spencer Bringhurst, and my All-Conference patrons, Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Noman Matthew Sale. All of your support is never expected, but it will always be appreciated. Make sure to check out my Patreon via the link in the description so that you can have your name listed at the end of the video so that I can thank you. And also so that depending on your tier, you can get extra talent and insider access to potential power, a ranking system that I'm developing that right now is 31 31 and 17. I thought it was 30 and 18, but it's actually 31 and 17 against the spread over the past two weeks. So check out my Patreon via the link in the description and have a phenomenal day, guys. I'll see you around.